Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights cooperative network projects and leader stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Rick Taylor. Today, I'm here with Frank Sipker, Engineering and Operations Manager of Cherryland Electric Cooperative, located in Grand, Michigan. Last year, CFC published a special report, Building Energy Resilience, How Electric Cooperatives Are Mitigating Extreme Weather Effects. The report looks at some of the different approaches electric cooperatives are taking to prepare for and adapt to weather-related disruptions. One of the cooperatives featured in this publication is Cherryland for its use of a standby power system loan program for commercial and industrial members. Through the program, CNI members can take out a 10-year loan for a commercial generator that helps improve energy resilience. Today, we are going to be speaking with our guests to learn more about this program. But before we get into specifics, let's start with an introduction. Frank, thanks so much for joining us on Solutions Cast. Please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little about what you do and how long you've been at Cherryland. Thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here today on this podcast. Uh, I'm Frank Zipker with Cherryland Electric Cooperative. This is about my 20th year here at the co-op. I'm a graduate electrical engineering power systems analysis from Michigan Technological University. I spent a little time in the consulting field, uh, working with other public power entities, power line design, system analysis, planning studies, things of that nature prior to uh, coming on board here at the cooperative. And beautiful place to be, wonderful group of people to work with, and uh, really honored to have the pleasure of being part of this team. Excellent. Uh, Frank, what can you tell us about Cherryland Service Territory and some of the weather-related challenges that your co-op experiences? Sure. Cherryland serves about 38,000 members here in the Traverse City area. Uh, we have a large urban population right around Traverse City in Michigan, northwest lower Michigan. If, <clears throat> if you're from Michigan, you'll know the hand symbol, right? So we're in the pinky of the hand if you're looking at your palm on your right hand. Uh, that's kind of our territory here. So we're surrounded by Lake Michigan, which is one of the Great Lakes here, and it really causes some unique weather situations. Uh, so our Leelanau County and Benzie and Manistee, Wexford, Grand Traverse County communities here, we experience a lot of weather systems that are a little less predictable than what other we see other places around the uh, around the country because of the influence of the water system around us. Predominant weather patterns come in from the west, moving west to east, and they come across Lake Michigan. And storms that are expected to be big storms turn out oftentimes to be nothing as the, the waters over the lake, uh, the climate there changes the intensity or the direction or the nature of those storms. And other times we get what we call pop-up surprise storms. And a lot of these frequently are what we call derecho uh, wind storms, where it's kind of a big down gust of wind that comes blasting out of the sky, unexpected, unpredicted, oftentimes with 100 mile an hour plus winds. And they tend to lie in really central or really uh, consolidated parts of our service territory and cause some pretty significant destruction in their path. Prior to the loan program, we didn't have a lot of options for members that were looking in this commercial space to finance these projects. And I think that the residential customers that we have have had a lot of growth in uh, generators. Mm-hmm. We have a really reliable system. We do a really good job uh, with maintenance. We do a really good job with work plan construction projects. But the reality is, is regardless of how we build the system, we're in a very mature, densely wooded environment. When these large storms come through, they're, they're uprooting and breaking off large, mature, healthy trees and throwing them against our power system. 
So there's there's no there's no way to prevent outages here. Even our underground systems, we've got a 40% of our uh, systems plant is underground. We still see uprooted trees pulling underground wire out of the ground, pulling transformers out of the ground, smashing transformers and switching cabinets. So there's nothing really immune to this. Uh, so we thought more for these uh, CNI members. So when did you first start offering the commercial generator loan program? And what, what was it that sort of finally made you guys decide that this is something that you wanted to offer? So we started this program back in 2017. So it's been uh, almost six years ago that we, five and a half years ago, we started this program up. And we have had several of these large events that that have, have really kind of left parts of our system uh, out for long duration and usually isolated parts. But the problem with our system is we have the central hub of Traverse City that's kind of in the middle where there's lots of services, there's lots of lots of connections, lots of backfeed opportunities, and lots of resiliency purpose-built structures, you know, fire departments, churches, schools, community centers, all these things where people can get to, whether maybe warm up if the weather's cold, cool down if the weather's hot, grocery stores, and, and other convenience locations that have lots of resources for people. But as we isolate some of these remote parts of our service territory that are kind of disconnected geographically just due to distance and space, there's not as many opportunities out there. So if we have if we have an area that, that experiences long duration outages and we don't have anybody within that that has any businesses or community centers that have resiliency planned in, there's just nothing to support those members while we're working our hardest to get the power back on, whether it's getting water, whether it's getting bathroom facilities, whether it's getting warmed up or cooled down. Or, or getting you know access to food or, or other other supplies. So the the board and the senior management team here, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about this as just kind of the next step of storm resiliency and how do we help enable some of our key members to be contributors to these scenarios, right? So we looked at this right this loan program as an opportunity to work with townships, villages, libraries, ambulance services, fire departments, emergency service providers, commercial businesses and other entities or institutions to help them purchase a generator that allow them to serve the general public by providing both comfort and shelter during storm events. And that's that's written right in. That's the purpose statement of our loan program here that we have, which makes it a little bit unique, right? Because it's built around a purpose to serve the community around these entities. Certainly, having generation on site and being more resilient in these in these scenarios oftentimes enables these businesses to for their businesses to thrive outside of these storm events. But there's the kind of the underlying purpose in this that makes this a little unique. I understand that Cherryland does not market this program publicly. Can you tell us why that is? I think it's it really comes down to this, this purpose uh, statement here in that I think we probably will at some point in time market this on a more public basis. But as we've kind of gone through the learning phase of this, trying to understand where the best locations of use of this are and trying to analyze our distribution system and think about key areas where this would be the greatest benefit to our membership, we want to focus on that first. I think you know, that's kind of our priority. So looking at these more remote areas that are a little more isolated that don't have multiple options for providing service in these scenarios, talk to those members first to gives us a better bang for our buck and a better use of our resources to do that up front. Let's talk about the details of the program. Uh, Frank, what can you tell us about the kind of commercial generators that are available and how the loan program works? Sure. So we originally started this program with a little bit of an alliance partnership with Generac. 
And that kind of got us going with this. And I think that was a good, a good way to get our foot in the door and get things moving. What we found as we started to move that forward, a little bit of a competitive problem. You know, we, we like to think of us as a co-op where we're filling gaps and we're helping people that aren't served by getting them served. And what we discovered as we went forward by trying to also be a generator dealer, we found ourselves competing with some of the local uh, entities that are already distributing and dealing generators and doing the installations. And we tried to partner with the local entities as far as doing the installation work, doing the maintenance, doing the ongoing service work for those. And that works. And it's certainly very valuable to our members to have that resource. But it caused a little bit of a conflict of interest between us and the distributors in that we were trying to deal the generator, and, and but they also deal generators. So we decided to back away from that a little bit. But the 10-year, it's a, up to a 10-year loan program. Um, we're allowed to charge interest on the loan itself. It's a minimum 2% interest. Again, in 2017, interest rates weren't what they were today. So we certainly, we, we had the foresight to think about putting that as a minimum interest rate. Uh, at the time, it was sort of in line with where our average cost of borrowing was today. That certainly was going to be a different number. And we would address that as on each, each individual application as we move forward, try and set a rate that makes sense for both the member and for the cooperative. We allowed this program to be available for generators sized up to 150 kW. And I think that wasn't, that's not necessarily a magical number, but just when we looked around the size of our territory and the type of loads that we were hoping to service, that was more than adequate. And it also allowed us to not get distracted by other big, bright, big, flashy businesses that may be looking for much larger generators, which would create a little bit of a burden on the co-op as far as the amount of energy that we'd have to put into it and the amount of value equity that we'd have to share on these loan programs to keep that a little bit more reasonable. So we did a few other guardrails on this program. So we required that we're financing at least 30% of the cost of the generator installation. Again, for the to be, in order to put the documents together for the staff time involved, we didn't want to be out there financing very, very small projects that, that wouldn't bring a lot of value to the members that we're working with. Now, we also put a cap on that where we wouldn't finance more than 75% of the program. We wanted to make sure that the members had some equity in this and they had some skin in the game and we weren't doing this entirely on our own. And then the other key element is we require that all these uh, loans are automatically set up from the get-go with an ACH payment system. So we're not out there chasing invoices on these to help smooth that process for our accounting department. You touched a little bit on your previous agreement with Generac, uh, the company that supplies the generators. You were an authorized reseller. Can you expand a little bit more on maybe some of the things that you went through as an authorized reseller that ultimately prompted the cooperative to decide to shift its role to just focus on the planning and loan aspects? Yeah, Generac, like I said before, was a great partner to get this teed up because one of their requirements are is that you go through a fair amount of training. So they provided training modules, training blocks for us here within our organization to become basically a trained dealer and trained dealer representatives. And that, that was valuable to get our staff up to speed on some of these, the things that go along with generators, whether it's sizing them or whether it's citing them or whether it's you know, helping specify what the exact requirements of them would be. It certainly was a very valuable resource to us and it was a good partnership to have. It is also, as time goes on, it is a little bit of a burden too, right? Because there's, there's refresher upgrades, updates you have to take, ongoing education and, and then ongoing purchases that have to be made in order to maintain your dealership status. So over time, we, we have not really found a good way to keep this program really active. And in, with inactivity, it kind of sort of that relationship dissolved. And 
in the end, we think that that's probably the way we will continue it, uh, just because now that we've got the base experience that we need to move this forward, it's a little easier to do on our own, and it allows us to build a stronger relationship with our dealers here that are also members of the co-op and help support their businesses and help their economic development within our community uh, without having to kind of stand in between the two entities. What are some of the real-world scenarios where one of your members has, has leveraged the program? So we had a pretty unique one that's in one of our more rural areas, and it's an area that's kind of isolated from a lot of our services that we have in our main central region of our co-op territory. And this was a local distillery. So they're a farm-to-table organization. They grow the grain right on site. They do all of the processing there. They do all the distilling there. And while distillery sounds like something that probably is not necessarily necessary in a state of emergency, they're a little more than just a distillery. So they're also an event center. They're also a restaurant. They're also a retail store. And they've got storage facilities that are thermally conditioned. So they, they bring a lot to the table. They have the ability there to provide water services for other local farmers who may need water for, for animals, things of that nature, wells. They have large indoor conditioned spaces where we could get people in if it's cold outside or if it's hot outside, get people cooled off. And they have a full commercial kitchen there. So they're able to provide food services. And, you know, one of the really neat things that happened through COVID uh, there was all kinds of supply chain issues for everything under the sun. Well, one of the things was hand sanitizer. No one could buy hand sanitizer all of a sudden. S- supplies were down, demand was up, and there just wasn't anything out there. And they were able to shift on a fly on the fly and convert their grain distilleries that were, you know, brewing whiskey and, and rum and vodka and all these other crazy spirits into brewing alcohol for sanitizer. So it was a really unique experience to walk into the shelf in COVID when everything shut down and uh, you can't get anything. And there's just rows and rows and rows of Iron Fish Distillery hand sanitizer on the shelf at the local stores. And in the local medical facilities, if you stop in a doctor's office or something, there's a good chance if there was a hand sanitizer in the counter, it was from Iron Fish Distillery. And that was just super neat. We didn't experience any power outages in the midst of that and that uh, whole pandemic thing down there. But we have have at other times. They're, you know, Like I said, they're kind of they're fed on a shoestring line that runs out from the middle of nowhere to beyond the end of nowhere. So they, they do suffer from some some reliability concerns out there. So it was a good partnership to get that service in place. And, and they were able to provide something to the community that you couldn't get otherwise. I'd like you to expand on that about connecting to the community and serving the community. What, what, what can you share with our listeners about that aspect of this program? It's part of what we do, right? It's, you know, service to the community. It's our co-op principles. This provided them an opportunity to provide resiliency to their own organization at a, in a cost-effective manner, right? For a small down payment and a small monthly fee, uh, monthly loan charge over spread out over 10 years to get them a uh, secondary source of power in a very remote location that allows them to serve a wide variety of our membership in that area from obviously from everything from hand sanitizer in a pandemic to a place to warm up, a place to cool down, a place to get some food, a place to get water. It really, and even beyond that now, they, they've put EV car charging in there too. So now in this scenario, right, where we've got outages in that area, if people are, so to speak, could potentially become stranded with EVs if they don't have a way to charge at home or in a local area, this is yet another source of source of refuge in a storm to uh, boost your car back up so you can get where you need to go. So I think it's, it's, it's a really great community involvement opportunity and is just happy to be part of it. Looking back on Cherryland's experience with this program, what are some lessons learned that you would share 
with another cooperative leader who may be considering offering some type of backup power program? I think you need to get a team involved with this up front, a variety of people, technical people from, from engineering and operations and from your member services and marketing and put a team together that can learn about this together. In the end, this is something that will be probably run by someone in an energy manager or a uh, energy use advisor or a member services type position because it's it's in the whole scheme of things, in the end, it's a lot of paperwork, right? We're taking applications, reviewing those. Uh, our particular policy has a, a loan committee um, that here that's staffed by people in the office, so we don't have to take every loan application to the board of directors for approval. They've granted us some of that authority, but ongoing, you need to have some, you need to ha- get some consistent players in the game. And you need to have some good member service relations that are front-ending this and then also following through on it to make sure the customers that are doing with this are getting the right connections they need with your local distributors or dealers. If you don't have good connections with good local distributors or dealers for generators, a partnership with someone like Generac would be a fantastic way to get that into your community. And uh, maybe over time, some of the installers might absorb that, that dealership responsibility to help take that off the plate learning the, the requirements to size generators and what they're used for and how they're connected and how they benefit, and making sure the operations guys understand how the transfer switches work and what the safety procedures are for working on those lines when we've got generators out there. The more we can do this right, the lower the risk is for it being done wrong. Frank, it is absolutely fascinating to hear about what your cooperative is doing with this program. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us on Solutions Cast. Thanks, Rick. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Solutions Cast. Be sure to subscribe to get the next episode and check nrucfc.coop/solutions for more electric cooperative news.